Section 9 of The Life of Charlemagne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicholas James Bridgewater. The Life of Charlemagne by Notker the Stammerer. Translated by Arthur James Grant. Section 9, Book 2, Part 5. After Charles, of all the energetic Franks, the most energetic, had stayed in that country for a short time, while he was appointing a worthy successor to the deceased bishop, one festal day, after the celebration of Mass, he said to his retinue, We must not let leisure lead us into slothful habits. Let us go hunting and kill something, and let us all go in the very clothes that we are wearing at this moment. Now the day was cold and rainy, and Charles was wearing a sheepskin, not much more costly than the cloak which St. Martin wore, when, with bare arms, he offered to God a sacrifice that received divine approval. But the others, for it was a holiday and they had just come from Pavia, whither the Venetians had carried all the wealth of the East from their territories beyond the sea, the others, I say, strutted in robes made of pheasant skins and silk or of the necks, backs, and tails of peacocks in their first plumage. Some were decorated with purple and lemon-coloured ribbons, some were wrapped round with blankets, and some in ermine robes. They scoured the thickets, they were torn by branches of trees, thorns, and briars, they were drenched with rain, they were defiled with the blood of wild beasts and the filth of the skins and in this plight they returned home. Then the most crafty Charles said, No one of us must take off his dress of skins before he goes to bed. They will dry better upon our bodies. Then everyone, more anxious about his body than his dress, made search for fire and tried to warm himself. Then they returned and remained in attendance upon Charles far into the night before they were dismissed to their apartments. Then, when they began to draw off their dresses of skins and their slender belts, the creased and shrunken garments could be heard even from a distance cracking like sticks broken when they are dry, and the courtiers sighed and groaned and lamented that they had lost so much money on a single day. They had received, however, a command from the emperor to appear before him next day in the same skin garments. When they came, it was no longer the splendid show of yesterday, for they looked dirty and squalid in their discoloured and rent clothes. Then Charlie, full of guile, said to his chamberlain, Give my sheepskin a rub, and bring it to me. It came quite white and perfectly sound, and Charles took it and showed it to all those who were there, and spoke as follows. Most foolish of mortal men! Which of these dresses is the most valuable and the most useful? This one of mine, which was bought for a piece of silver? Or those of yours, which you bought for pounds, nay, for many talents? Their eyes sank to the ground, for they could not bear his most terrible censure. Your most religious father imitated this example of the great Charles all through his life for he never allowed anyone who seemed to him worthy of his notice or his teaching to
to wear anything when on campaign against the enemy except the military accoutrements and garments of wool and linen. If any of his servants, ignorant of this rule, happened to meet him with silk or silver or gold upon his person, he would receive a reprimand of the following kind, and would depart a better and a wiser man. Here's a blaze of gold and silver and scarlet. Why, you wretched fellow, can't you be satisfied with perishing yourself in battle if fate so decides? Must you also give your wealth into the hands of the enemy, which might have gone to ransom your soul, but now will decorate the temples of the heathen? But now, though you know it better than I do, I will tell again how, from early youth up to his seventieth year, the unconquered Lewis delighted in iron, and what an exhibition of his fondness for iron he made in the presence of the legates of the Northmen. When the kings of the Northmen sent gold and silver as witness of their loyalty, and their swords as a mark of their perpetual subjection and surrender, the king gave orders that the precious metals should be thrown upon the floor, and should be looked upon by all with contempt, and be trampled upon by all as though they were dirt. But, as he sat upon his lofty throne, he ordered the swords to be brought to him, that he might make trial of them. Then the ambassadors, anxious to avoid the possibility of any suspicion of an evil design, took the swords by the very point, as servants hand knives to their masters, and thus gave them to the emperor at their own risk. He took one by the hilt, and tried to bend the tip of the blade right back to the base, but the blade snapped between his hands, which were stronger than the iron itself. Then one of the envoys drew his own sword from its sheath and offered it, like a servant to the emperor's service, saying, I think you will find this sword as flexible and as strong as your all-conquering right hand could desire. Then the emperor, a true emperor he, as the prophet Isaiah says in his prophecy, consider the rock whence ye were hewn. For he, out of all the vast population of Germany, by the single favour of God, rose to the level of the strength and courage of an earlier generation. The emperor, I say, bent it like a vine twig from the extreme point back to the hilt, and then let it gradually straighten itself again. Then the envoys gazed upon one another and said in amazement, Would that our kings held gold and silver so cheap, and iron so precious. As I have mentioned the Northmen, I will show by an incident drawn from the reign of your grandfather in what slight estimation they hold faith and baptism. Just as after the death of the warrior King David, the neighbouring peoples, whom his strong hand had subdued, for a long time paid their tribute to his peaceful son Solomon, even so the terrible race of the Northmen still loyally paid to Lewis the tribute which through terror they had paid to his father, the most august Emperor Charles. Once the most religious Emperor Lewis took pity on their envoys, and asked them if they would be willing to receive the Christian religion. And, when they answered that always and everywhere, and in everything they were ready to obey him, he ordered them to be baptized in the name of him, of whom the most learned Augustine says, If there were no trinity, the truth would never have said, Go and teach all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
the nobles of the palace adopted them almost as children and each received from the emperor's chamber a white robe and from their sponsors a full frankish attire of costly robes and arms and other decorations this was often done and from year to year they came in increasing numbers not for the sake of christ but for earthly advantage they made haste to come not as envoys any longer but as loyal vassals on easter eve to put themselves at the disposal of the emperor and it happened that on a certain occasion they came to the number of fifty the emperor asked them whether they wished to be baptized and when they had confessed he bade them forwith be sprinkled with holy water as linen garments were not ready in sufficient numbers he ordered shirts to be cut up and sewn together into the fashion of wraps one of these was forthwith clapped upon the shoulders of one of the elder men and when he had looked all over it for a minute he conceived fierce anger in his mind and said to the emperor i have gone through this washing business here twenty times already and i have been dressed in excellent clothes of perfect whiteness but a sack like this is more fit for clodhoppers than for soldiers if i were not afraid of my nakedness for you have taken away my own clothes and have given me no new ones i would soon leave your wrap and your christ as well ah how little do the enemies of christ value the words of the apostle of christ where he says all ye that are baptized in christ put on christ and again ye that are baptized in christ are baptized in his death or that passage which is aimed especially at those who despise the faith and violate the sacraments crucifying the son of god afresh and putting him to an open shame oh would that this were the case only with the heathen and not also among those who are called by the name of christ now i must tell a story about the goodness of the first lewis and then i shall come back to charles that most peaceable emperor lewis being free from the incursions of the enemy gave all his care to the works of religion as for instance to prayer to works of charity to the hearing and just determinations of trials at law his talents and his experience had made him very skilful in this latter business and when one day there came to him one who was considered a very Achitophel by all, and tried to deceive him, he gave him this answer following, with courteous mien and kindly voice, though with some little agitation of mind. Most wise Anselm, he said, if I may be allowed to say so, I would venture to observe that you are deviating from the path of rectitude. From that day the reputation of that legal luminary sank to nothing in the eyes of all the world moreover the most merciful lewis was so intent on works of charity that he liked not merely to have things done in his sight but even to do them with his own hand even when he was away he made special arrangements for the trial of cases in which the poor were concerned he chose one of their own number a man of small bodily strength but apparently more courageous than the rest, and gave orders that he should decide offences committed by them. 
and should see to the restoration of stolen property, the requital of injuries and wounds, and in cases of greater crimes, to the infliction of mutilation, decapitation, and the exposure of the bodies on the gallows. This man established dukes, tribunes, centurions, and their representatives, and performed his task with energy. Moreover, the most merciful emperor, worshipping Christ in the persons of all the poor, was never weary of giving them food and clothing, and he did so especially on the day when Christ, having put off his mortal body, was preparing to take to himself an incorruptible one. On that day, it was his practice to make presents to each and every one of those who served in the palace or did duty in the royal court. He would order belts, leg coverings, and precious garments brought from all parts of his vast empire to be given to some of his nobles. The lower orders would get Frisian cloaks of various colours. His grooms, cooks, and kitchen attendants got clothes of linen and wool and knives according to their needs. Then, when according to the Acts of the Apostles, there was no one that was in need of anything, there was a universal feeling of gratitude. The ragged poor, now decently clad, raised their voices to heaven with a cry of Kyrie eleison to the blessed Lewis. Through all the wide courts and the smaller openings of A, which the Latins usually call porches, and all the knights who could embrace the feet of the emperor, and those who could not get to him, worshipped him afar off as he made his way to church. On one of these occasions, one of the fools said in jest, O happy Lewis, who on one day hast been able to clothe so many people, by Christ I think that no one in Europe has clothed more than you this day except Atto. When the emperor asked him how it was possible that Atto should have clothed more, the jester, pleased to have secured the attention of the emperor, said with a grin, He has distributed today a vast number of new clothes. The emperor, with the sweetest possible expression on his face, took this for the silly joke it was, and entered the church in humble devotion, and there behaved himself so reverently that he seemed to have our Lord Jesus Christ himself before his bodily eyes. It was his habit to go to the baths every Saturday, not for any need there was of it, but because it gave him an opportunity of making presents, for he used to give everything that he took off, except his sword and belt, to his attendants. His liberality reached even to the lowest grades, insomuch that he once ordered all his attire to be given to one Strachulf, a glazier, and a servant of St. Gaul. When the servants of the barons heard of this, they laid an ambuscade for him on the road, and tried to rob him. Then he cried out, What are you doing? You are using violence to the glazier of the emperor? They answered, You can keep your office, but... Here the manuscript ends, and the further adventures of Strachulf are left to conjecture. End of Book 2 End of Section 9 End of The Life of Charlemagne by Notker the Stammerer